Welcome to Feels Like Home, a home, garden, and design podcast with me, interior designer Sam Strzok. And me, stylist and photographer Eva Cosmos Flores. Each week, we'll bring you down-to-earth advice to help you create beauty in your living space and vibrancy in your garden. Along with insights and tips from our guests. Plus, every episode, we'll dive into listener mail and help you solve a garden or design problem. So send them on over to us at feelslikehomepodcast at gmail.com. So pull up a seat and make yourself at home. Hi, everyone. Hello. Welcome back to another episode. Um, Today, we're diving into all things kitchen, which I'm really Mm. excited about. Both Sam and I have pretty big opinions on kitchens, and we love them. And uh, I love cooking, so I have a lot of thoughts from a utilitarian standpoint. And you have such a beautiful kitchen, so I'm really (laughs) excited for you to share your design insights about that, too. So, yeah. So let's kick things off with our strides and struggles. What about you, Sam? Um, Yeah, this week has been... Really good. Uh, I was thinking through before on my drive here uh, what I was going to talk about in terms of strides and struggles. And I think for me, uh, my biggest stride, I can't really talk a lot about it because it's like in the works, Mm -hmm. but I took a leap of faith in a business venture that I'm hoping will pay off, but it it felt like very risky in the moment. It was kind of a vulnerable ask to another person specifically. So I felt proud of myself for even just like doing it Mm because it's kind of one of those moments where, you know, this was a person that I feel I was meant to approach to like bring into my business. And I just kept seeing them around town. And I was just like, had a moment where I was like, if I'm meant to reach out to this person, I'm going to run into them when I pick up my son from daycare. And they were there. And I was like, okay, I guess that means I'm supposed to. So, um, yeah, I just took a leap of faith. Like I said, it was very preliminary and like spur of the moment, which sometimes the best things in life are. But yeah, it just, yeah. So I was proud of myself for doing it. So it feels like a stride, even though it's also somewhat of a struggle for me to do it. Um, (laughs) But then, yeah, I, I don't know. So we'll see what comes of it. Well, seems kind of vague and ominous, and I hate it when people do that on social media or whatever. But this <laughs> is this is the moment I'm in right now. So yeah, it's funny when you have those things where you're like really excited about it, but you don't want to overshare because you don't want to kind of say something about it before the other person is comfortable with people right. knowing about it or jinx it right. by like saying something's happening when it's not totally finalized, and then later you're just like, oh, never mind. <laughs> right? Yes, that's yeah. where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. So for my struggle, I have been literally for the last, honestly, probably three months working on an employee handbook. And it's hard to do that and tricky and annoying. And it feels very counter to honestly who I am as a person to be like, here is the handbook of how we need to work together or Mm -hmm. whatever. But, you know, there's just like general things that I think are helpful for anyone that comes into a business to have. So I'm having to like, process that some structure is good and that it is helpful and will make things easier for everyone but it's just really hard for me to do it and it feels very corporate yeah and that I really just struggle with that so I'm like trudging through the handbook to try to get it done (laughs) and I feel like it's we're down to like the third draft of it so I feel like that's pretty good nice um and 
I have just like assigned it to Jordan, aka husband, aka office manager, business <laughs> manager, to like do the final revisions and then get it submitted to uh, our branding gal to like beautify. Excellent. So I think it'll be done shortly, but it's been really painful to do it. Not going to lie. Yeah. It's hard to like literally brain dump everything about how your business works into one place. But yeah. I will also say that from like an employee standpoint, you know, when I had like desk jobs and stuff, it's really nice to have a written material of kind of how the flow of things work at right. your new job, because that way you're like, oh, well, I feel bad that I don't remember this if it's like only in person training and then you have to go bother someone and be like hey can you like walk me through how to do that again or like what was the last step yeah so having a written reference that they can turn to and not have to like feel like they're interrupting someone else's work or interrupting you is actually going to be really nice for them i know this yeah it's still painful in the interim (laughs) but i know it'll be good it's like good pain right so and i think i just assume that when you write these things or when you do them, there's an expectation of how they have to be done. Yeah. And I think I've reconciled like, it's okay that it's written in my voice and maybe isn't industry standard or is more casual or, you, you know, just different. So yeah. um, I've reconciled that allowing my voice into these things is is actually good and yeah. it's okay. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of where the shift happened where I'm like, oh, okay, I think it's more fun if I can just like sit down and write about, yeah, you know, my definitely. my passion of this business rather than like the rules of the business, you know? Yeah. And I think it makes it more fun and also sets the tone for like what this business is like and what it's like working here. It's yes. not going to be like super rigid and formal because that's not who you are at right. all, you know? Right. But P.S. like you do have to do your own dishes, you know, <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. Exactly. So it's, you know, anyways, but it's good. It's all Great stuff, just painful business moments. <laughs> yeah, growing pains. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Well, I know all my strides are garden-related, but I'm. it's still garden-related again. It's okay. I got all my roses pruned, finally. Nice. So that's great. And so I finished it up like a couple weeks ago, and now there's just so much new growth coming out because we're right in the early stages of spring here. So it's just been fun to kind of watch them thrive after getting cut back because they were really like squirrely and crazy. I'm pretty bad about pruning my roses. I only do it once a year. Some people do it like twice a year, but I got them cut back and they're looking pretty good. Nice. Feeling good about that. And then in terms of struggle, still working through the construction loan documents. Yes. And then realized or found out because of just some of the requirements about the way they estimate how much to loan you, et cetera. They want like really specifics about the interior finishes of the house, which we haven't actually gone through and done yet. Right. So you and me next week, we're going <laughs> to meet up for a day and yeah. just do like a marathon of like, okay, let's just pick like all the finishes for the inside of the house yeah. in a few hours, which is it w- I know will be fine, but it's like kind of frustrating when you're like oh, I, just, I just really wanted to sit and like take my time with this yeah. and now I feel like we kind of have to rush through and I know that there's flexibility in what we choose right you know because it just kind of has to meet the cost criteria for like estimating purposes that's my chicken everybody so <laughs> might hear some chickens in the background but yeah so that's why I'm just like a little like okay I think I need to like maybe do some prep work to like have better idea of, yeah because like, it's just been so busy the past few months that I haven't had time to sit and like revisit the interior stuff because we've been so focused on mm-hmm. like the gorge commission things. 
So probably sometime in the next few days, I'll try to sit down before the meeting so that I can like come into it with a headspace of like having some ideas in mind so that we can make the best use of our time. Sure. Yeah, it's going to be fairly straightforward and easy to do it. I know it probably feels overwhelming, but it's uh, (laughs) it's it's going to be good. I've done this exercise a few times and it's just depends on the bank and how Mm -hmm. specific they want it to be. But also we've done it just as a cost exercise for our clients to get a rough idea of like their global cost. So there's flexibility afterwards for Mm -hmm. sure. But it's um, yeah, it's it's going to be a big push. Yeah. (laughs) But I know that I'm in good hands, so it'll be good. Thank you. (laughs) No, but it'll be, yeah, it'll be fun. Don't stress about it. Don't feel like you have to do a ton of homework for it. Yeah. It's pretty easy to narrow down a style and give a pretty good rough idea number wise. Okay. Awesome. So great. Easy. (laughs) And while we're talking about kitchens today, we can just talk through all the things that you want in your kitchen and then that'll narrow your homework down (laughs) for you. So all good. (laughs) Two birds with one stone. Yes. Perfect. Yes, it's perfect. So, uh, yeah. Well, with that, let's uh, should we transition into diving into kitchens and let's do it. Yeah. Want gorgeous photos of your home? I've made five beautiful Lightroom mobile presets that will bring brightness and beauty to your space, and you can grab them for free at feelslikehomepodcast.com. So today we wanted to talk about designing a functional kitchen. So obviously you want it to be beautiful too, but sometimes I feel like kitchens can be designed to have like form over function. And as someone who cooks a lot, I thought it would be fun for us to kind of dive into this about like what makes a kitchen really fun to be in, easy to use, but also really, really attractive and pretty and and also easy to like keep clean and stuff too, because kitchens are such a heavily trafficked and like messy sure. room. Probably yeah. that the house in your room or the room in your house that just has the most dirt and grime and like crumbs and like, you know, all that stuff right. in there. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny when we get new potential clients for kitchens, it's always a big point of conversation where typically they'll approach us just to help with material selections, right? And just, I want it to be beautiful. And we actually turn down most of those projects unless we are able to be integrated into the function because it's so important that you're really spending the time to think about how you're going to use a kitchen. So I think this is going to be a really fun conversation about just like, tips, tricks, things that we can do to make sure that we're considering the kitchen holistically and then also still like elevating it within the realm of function. Mm -hmm. Like maybe we can kick things off with talking a little bit about cabinetry because I feel like that's such a huge part of the kitchen and there's so much like variety in the appearance but also the functionality too and how you can really make it work best for your space. Right. Yeah, so generally speaking, there's uh, two types of kitchens or cabinets. Um, Specifically, there's inset cabinets and then full overlay. So the difference between those two are that you can see the face frame or the doors are on top of the face frame. So if you like the look of a sort of more traditional or like old world look or European, typically you're going to gravitate towards the face frame style, the inset style. 
but those cabinets you do lose storage with because the face frame takes away from the drawer size and the size of the cabinet itself. So you lose over the the span of an entire kitchen, you'll lose quite a bit of storage by doing that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not bad, but something to consider. So is the the one that's not face frame, what's that called? Overlay. Overlay. Is that just an open shelf like the cabinet, but there's no cover on top of it? It's. I'll put a picture in the show notes for okay. everyone to see. But essentially, it's that the door of the cabinet is sitting proud of the cabinet box and spans the full width. Does that uh, make sense? Okay. Yes. So it's because the door becomes smaller and there's a face frame that's revealed Mm -hmm. in the inset style, that face frame takes away from the storage. If that, I don't know if that makes sense. It's kind of hard to understand unless you're seeing it a picture, but so it's mostly about the frame of the cabinet. And then in just in terms of general cabinet tips, I tend to encourage everyone to do drawers on lower cabinets, no doors if possible. And that's really just because You can pull a drawer out and get to the back of it all the way. Most of them are like pretty well pound rated. Mm -hmm. So you have like a drawer that can hold 150 pounds and you'd be totally fine. I could stand in my kitchen drawers (laughs) and it would be okay. (laughs) So uh, you can put heavy pots, pans, things like that in there with no issues. That's awesome. Um, I think that's a big fear. Like, can I load my dishes into a drawer? Things like that. I have all my dishes for my kitchen for 16 people in one drawer. And it's totally fine. It doesn't sag. It's totally fine. So I'm a big fan of drawers wherever possible. And then pullouts if you're not going to do drawers. So where you open the door and there's still like a pullout shelf, if that makes sense. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's something that I definitely feel is lacking in our current kitchen because most well yeah i would say like three quarters of our lower cabinets are just shelves and they don't pull out so you have to like crouch down and like reach all the way to the back to get like this one pot which is definitely annoying and then also the stuff that's at the back you kind of forget you have because you never see it and then you're just like oh yeah i do have like a casserole pan that is like this perfect size but i just never use it yeah yeah totally tucked all the way in the back uh, whereas the drawers that we have, we like use everything in there all the time because you can see everything as right. soon as you pull it out. And then I don't know if you told me this or a different friend mentioned this to me, but talking about like if you have kids, it's nice to have drawers in the lowers also with like your plates and stuff. Yeah. So if they want to, you know, be independent and make themselves like a PB&J, it's yeah. like easy for them to actually reach and access that stuff, yes. which I thought was really cool. Yeah, we do have that in our house. One of the drawers in our kitchen is just like half toys, like fake food. And <laughs> so kitchen related toys. And then the other half of the drawer is their like plates, silverware, whatever, so that they can get those things out and bring them to us and tell us we want to snack or something so it's like a it's a blessing and a curse like their independence is so great but then pen he eats nonstop. so <laughs> him having access to food is just like it's bad but it's <laughs> cute at the same time so it's just kind of one of those random things but it is helpful to be able to give your kids access into your space and I think it helps um just incorporate them into the flow of the kitchen so like Granger and Penn both unload their dishes from the dishwasher. 
oh, and put them awesome. in their drawer. Aww. So it's right next to that for them. And I don't, I mean, I'm not asking them to like lift our glasses and stuff like that and put them <laughs> away, but just their stuff that's like non-breakable that they can pull out and put in the drawer themselves. So and there's no expectation on how they do that or like whether it's organized, it just gets dumped in that drawer and then we <laughs> call it good. But they participate in that, which is, I think, helpful. Yeah. And that's something I think is such a good idea to consider when you're doing a kitchen design or remodel or whatever. Yeah. And then there's the stuff that's kind of weirdly shaped and hard to fit, like cutting boards and like flat baking sheets, especially because they're so long, but then so narrow. I really love those like kind of vertical slat spaces Mm -hmm. that I see in cabinets where it's just like an open, tall, skinny slatted spot. So you can like slide all your cutting boards in there. Yeah. Because right now we just have like cutting boards and baking sheets kind of laying flat in a cabinet and then there's like stuff on top of it. So like to get a cutting board, you have to take the pan off that's on top of them. Mm -hmm. Whereas if they're just like on their side, it's just so much easier, like just grab, you know, whatever you need. Totally. I love that. We found these really cool bamboo uh, inserts that are like aftermarket. So we use them in our vitamin drawer, which sounds really silly. Like we have a whole drawer dedicated to vitamins, but uh, we do. And I wanted these dividers to be able to divide them by like Jordan's vitamins, my vitamins, Granger's vitamins. So they're like spring action dividers so they can like fit in any opening, but you could install them vertically in a box cabinet (gasps) and then like have your sheets go vertical. That's really cool. So I can link those. Yeah. They're great. Yeah, you definitely should because that's nice for folks who have just like a big old cabinet but don't want to spend like buying a whole right. new system to yeah. put in there for that purpose. That's really nice. I also really like the pegs in the drawers. Yes. So it's like these little like wooden pegs that you like have a drawer that I don't know. I guess the pegs fit into holes on the bottom or whatever that are kind of in a grid design. But you can move the wooden pegs around to like customize the drawer like shape, I guess, on the inside to fit your dishware. Yeah. Which I really like too. It's a fun, that's definitely a fun insert to play around with. So many good inserts now. I know. And you can do a lot of those inserts, honestly. I mean, I sell cabinets out of my business, but the inserts through the cab supplier are very expensive. Mm -hmm. So there are lots of ways to add those after you've ordered your cabinets through just, you know, Amazon, big box retailers. What's that storage uh, box store? The container store? Yes. Yes. Yeah. You can do lots of things through there. So I think oftentimes I will even encourage my own clients not to buy the inserts through me or through our cabinet line because there's just such a high markup on those. Yeah. 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 And then there's also the the thing that I really enjoy about cabinets is uh, it protects the dishes from like dust, which I know I've mentioned on other episodes, but I just feel the need to say it again <laughs> because it's something that I was completely not aware of. And I feel like nobody thinks about until they're living in it. And it's that open shelves are really lovely, but all the dust, all the grease yeah. that's in the air from cooking it just settles on all the objects that are on right. your open shelves. So if you don't want to have to be dusting and like washing all your things like once a week that are on those shelves, it's a really nice idea to maybe do a little bit more cabinets. But if you really want that look, maybe do a glass front on yeah. the cabinet so that you still get the you know look of seeing all the beautiful things arranged on your shelves, but you keep them nice and clean and dust free. Like I do love 
the look still of open shelving, but I think right now basically half of my kitchen is just all open shelving on the uppers, Yeah, which I definitely regret doing because it's just from a cleaning standpoint, not really sustainable. So stuff's just dusty up there all the time. So I think having maybe like a few open shelves right. is like great. Like your kitchen, I feel like is the perfect balance of like, you have these pretty open shelves right by the window in your kitchen, which is nice because then the light hits them and it really like shows it off and looks right. really cool. But then everything else is upper. So it's just, I think, a lot more functional for storage and just keeping <laughs> everything clean. So you yeah. don't have like a layer of grease on like all your stuff. Yeah. Our open shelves are removed from the cooking area too, yeah. which helps. But then also... The only things that we keep on there are either decorative. So it's I would say it's probably 60% decorative, 40% everyday items. Yeah. And those everyday items are literally used every day. So then they're not accumulating dust. So, you know, there are water glasses that we use or like our dinner plates or, you know, things like that where they're coming off the shelf regularly. Yeah. So they're not sitting idle for a long time. And then the decorative ones are the decorative things on there are getting dusted, you know, once a month or something like that, but it's okay, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then kind of thinking about the foot traffic in the kitchen too, and like how that ties out to the cabinets and like, you know, which ways the doors are opening and all that. And, oh, and then something else that I was thinking about is having your cabinets go all the way up to the ceiling mm -hmm. instead of having that weird like end at the top and then there's just yeah. an empty gap. Like- some of my friends have that in their kitchens and it's like, what do you put up there? Like a potted plant or like it's right, just this weird right. like empty space. Whereas, you know, if it, you have cabinetry that can go all the way to the ceiling, you can fit stuff in there that maybe you don't use a lot, but it's just easier to access than having it in some closet somewhere like your Thanksgiving turkey roasting pan, you know, right, where it's right. like, I only need to climb up there maybe once or twice a year to get that, but easier to have it there than taking up space somewhere else in the house. Totally. Yeah, we did the same. We went all the way up on our cabinets. And I typically advocate for that as well, mostly because I, I think it, it helps with a finished look for mm -hmm. that to be all the way to the top. Uh, but I mean, honestly, the top, like 20% of my cabinets are totally empty. They're not, they sit empty, but there's room for growth, I guess. Yeah. But <laughs> what if you start getting into canning? Now oh, you have to keep yeah. all your cans up there. Or you get into canning and I put your cans up <laughs> that's there. So probably that, more like that. <laughs> that's fine. So or, yeah. it can be Eva's secondary <laughs> kitchen space down across the river when your house is done. So. I have a lot of weird specific appliances. Like I have a deep fryer. I have an ice cream maker. I used to also have a soft serve machine, like just really weird, hyper-specific <laughs> stuff. Cause I'd get into different types of like recipes. Yeah. Um, be like, well, I need the tool because that'll just make it easier. But then it's just like, well, now where do I keep all this? So we actually have like a few shelves in the basement that are just like filled with other appliances that right. we just don't have room for. But I'm like, this is what those uppers are for. You just like put the stuff up there that you only use a couple times a year. Yep. You don't have to go all the way down to the basement or go into your weird random closet to like get this stuff out. So yeah, love those. And then the core. So what do you recommend for corner cabinets? Because that's something that I always feel like is super awkward and like, yeah, there's a lot of different storage solutions that you can see online for it. You know, like some of the Lazy Susan type stuff mm -hmm. where it kind of spins around. What do you recommend? It depends on uh, kind of going back to whether or not it's an inset cabinet or an overlay cabinet. Mm -hmm. So in my house, I do have the inset cabinet look. So I opted for less storage over 
the flat cabinet look. So in my case, I did do the Lazy Susan cabinet because the door is affixed to it and you essentially just push the door in and it actually just like continues on a circle. Does oh, nice. that make sense? So yes. you're not opening a door, it actually pushes in and is part of the whole system, mm-hmm. which is super sleek and easy and really handy. Uh, if you had an overlay cabinet where the doors you actually have to open to make that work, I tend to like the ones that there's like this kind of weird kidney bean shaped pull out that you can once you open the door it actually can pull out from the back dead corner Mm. so instead of doing an l-shaped cabinet i tend to do just a corner cabinet with a blind corner pull out and then just do a regular cabinet next to it if that makes sense yes that does make sense those are there's lots of options for blind corner cabinet inserts that's what it's called so if you google it it's really just dead corner or blind corner cabinet inserts and then Sky's the limit on that. There's lots of different <laughs> options for it, but there's like this really weirdly shaped kind of kidney bean one that tends to be my favorite. Yeah. And then what what should people keep in mind in terms of layout? If they're like, you know, going to do a major overhaul of their kitchen, mm-hmm. like one thing that definitely pops to mind is ease of dishwasher to sink. Yep. Um, that's something that we have. a. It, I think we did a pretty good job in ours. Like, the dishwasher is not right next to the sink, but it's only like two feet away on the same wall. So it's yeah. easy to like take stuff out of the sink, throw it in the dishwasher without dripping water right. on like too far away of a distance. And then, you know, opening the dishwasher, if you have an island or a galley, like a long, narrow kitchen, if the dishwasher is open, is it possible for people to still walk around it or does it block the area of foot traffic? Yeah. And are you okay with that? Like, maybe that's not a problem, but just something to think about. Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, I do not do a walkway less than 42 inches wide Mm. anywhere in a kitchen. So, and that's just because, I mean, we've all been in kitchens where there's, you know, the codes, standard average is 36. But if you do open a dishwasher in a 36-inch walkway, nobody's getting around that. So minimum, I would do 42. Honestly, if you can afford 48 inches in walkway space, I would do that. So especially if you have dishwasher or range or a single door fridge that opens instead of a double door then having that 48 inches allows you to still open it and somebody to walk by you. So we opted for just wider walkways in our kitchen and I tend to encourage them over a bigger island. Like if I had to pick one or the other, a big island or wider walkways, I would pick wider walkways just to like keep the flow really open Mm -hmm. through there. And then in terms of layout, there's this thing called the work triangle, right? Which is this sweet... I don't know, triad of refrigerator range and sink. And so there's, you can Google it. There's like rules of thumb. You're not supposed to go more than 12 linear feet total in your work triangle. And at least that's what I think it was in design school. I don't know what it is right now, (laughs) but at any rate, I tend to just really approach it from the place of who's using the kitchen and how they use it. So Mm -hmm. I tend to like to anchor tall things on the outer run of a kitchen layout. So like if we're talking about a fridge, I prefer that to be on the edge instead of like in the middle of a run of cabinets Mm -hmm. or like tall pantry cabinets. Anything that's tall, that's going to feel heavy. I tend to put on the outside edge and then work my way through the rest of the space based on how you use it and what, you know, what, how you guys like to cook. So a lot of times people really like the idea of like a range being such a big focal point and they want it to be beautiful and just like be a feature 
but you know, they don't cook at all. So then if you're not cooking on it and it's just a feature, then it's sort of less important how it plays into that work triangle, right? Yeah. So um, there's a little bit more room to play depending on how you use it. But mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I'm just really passionate about making sure that the access to like trash recycling is easy for both the people yeah. in the kitchen and when you're hosting guests. So I think that's often lost like will the first thought is to put a trash pole out right next to the sink and let's say you've got a l-shaped kitchen and you're putting your trash recycle towards the inner corner of the sink then it's really hard for your guests to get to it when yeah. you, when you're like entertaining and you're still like putting appetizers out or doing different things so you know if it's a matter of swapping it to the other side or making it accessible to who you're also entertaining with. I Mm -hmm. think that's important. So I think it's a pretty overlooked thing. And then, yeah, I don't know. I think just generally speaking, we just go through a really heavy period of asking like so many questions in order to determine where we would put things. Yeah. But I'm a big fan of breaking rules. So I think as long as you can... Think about how you intend to cook, how you intend to move in your space, how you intend to entertain, and then sort of look at it through the framework of placing the pieces through that lens. I think you're going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is such a personal thing. You know, the kitchen, because some people cook more than others, some don't. Some people have like certain things that they might make all the time. So like the oven's more important than the stovetop because they're always roasting or if they're baking, et cetera. And then something else that I uh, kind of circling back to cabinets that I really like the idea of is there's these ca- like cabinets that are uppers, but they go all the way down to the countertop mm-hmm. so that you can put something uh, kind of hidden that you'd normally like use every day and leave out. But right. if you don't want to actually look at it like a coffee machine, like your Mr. Coffee or whatever. Right. So that it's kind of like tucked away, um, but there's still some countertop space in front of it. Yeah. Is there a term for that? or It's called an appliance garage. Okay. So cool. I have one of those in my house too. <laughs> and essentially, you know, a standard depth cabinet is 24 inches deep. And then a standard upper cabinet is around 12 to 13 inches deep. So if you're going to do an appliance garage, typically I would do them at 18 inches deep because your smaller appliances typically are deeper than 12, 13 inches. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to do an appliance garage, I would run the countertop all the way through and then put that cabinet on top of it. So you've got a hard surface. Nice. And then I also typically recommend under, like at the lower part of the cabinets, instead of doing a standard 24 inch, I'll pull it out deeper and do 28 inches. So it's actually the whole thing. The whole system is just deeper. And then the doors, if possible, to have them open and then like push back into the unit, that's ideal because then you know, if your microwave's in there or your coffee maker's in there, it takes more than a few minutes to use those. So you want to be able to like push those doors open and have them out of your way. Yeah. And then close them fully when you're done. So I love appliance garages. We all have lots of little appliances in our kitchen, whether it's toaster, toaster oven, coffee maker, microwave. Um, Those are all the things that we have in ours. And I would say 90% of the time that thing's open and it looks finished and nice. It's, you know, you can see all my coffee cups and random stuff. But then when I'm entertaining and I don't want that stuff to be seen, I get to just close it and pretend it's not there. I love so. that. 
Yeah, that's so awesome. I definitely want one of those because we do have a lot of stuff out on the counter that we use every day that I'm just like, oh, it just kind of looks cluttered. Yeah. You know, yeah, those are so handy. And then I'm just kind of circling back to utilitarian stuff in the kitchen. I feel like the most, one of the most heavily used spots is the kitchen sink. Yeah. And with kitchen sinks, there's kind of two different kinds. There's the one where it's just one big sink. And then there's the sinks where it's kind of divided into a right and a left with like a little line, a divider line in the right. middle. Um, well, do you have a preference or a recommendation on like what makes sense? Also, why are there sinks that are divided? <laughs> was that back when people were washing them by hand? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So usually there was like a washing sink and then a drying sink. Okay. So it was pre-dish racks, pre, you know, dishwashers. So then you would have like a side filled with water and soap. You do your dish cleaning and then move the dish to the other side for it to dry. Mm -hmm. But I think there are people that still, I will say it's 50, 50 in our, in our experience with clients um, where people just love doing dishes still. And so they're wow. like washing them by hand for the most part, not necessarily all their dishes. It could just be that they really like to wash all their pots and pans or something, but there are lots of people that still use that second sink. So I would say if you are somebody that likes to be able to wash dishes and dry them and do not want them to be on a dish rack on the counter, then the dual bowl is great. It makes sense because it keeps it all kind of contained in the sink, but it does really limit the sink size. So then, yeah. you know, you can't put a cookie sheet in there yeah. at all flat. So if you are somebody that likes to just throw dishes in a sink and be able for it to feel clean and walk away, and then you're going to load it in the dishwasher later, then um, a single bowl would be great for you, you yeah. know? So, and then there's, you know, farmhouse versus undermount, overmount sinks. And so that's a total random preference as well. But I will say farmhouse style sinks get you closer to the sink. So if you like to be able to stand right at the sink bowl mm -hmm. and then have access to the sink, then a farmhouse sink is great for you because um, you're not getting that three or four inches of setback before- yeah you're actually in there working in there. So if you're somebody that is on the shorter side, <laughs> like or, myself, you maybe, uh, <laughs> or, you know, is shorter arms or just like has a lot of back pain from just having to stretch your arms out yeah. to do things like that, then a farmhouse style sink is a great option for you because then you really only have that inch lip before you're in the sink itself, kind of pulls all of that forward. Mm -hmm. So... I didn't even think about that, but that makes complete sense. Yeah, not having that gap. And then with the undermount sinks, I really like those because that way if you're wiping down the kitchen countertop and there's crumbs and stuff, you just like whoosh, like wipe it right yeah. on into the sink. There's no like lip you have to get over or anything. Right. So I feel like that makes it really easy right. for cleanup, which I like. It's my favorite. Yeah. And there's undermount farmhouse sinks. So you can do... All of it. The best what, of both It's worlds. like the best of everything. So I don't have a farm, <laughs> farmhouse sink in my house. And I, I mean, it was just a random preference. But yeah, like I said, different strokes for different folks in the sinks. Yes. And then what is it called? Just thinking about like standing right up on like the countertop and things. Some cabinets will just go f straight down to the ground and some will have kind of like that little kick in mm -hmm. at the bottom, like three inches where you're basically, you're, you can tuck your feet in so that you can physically yeah. stand right next to the sink. What's that called? 
It's called a toe kick. Oh. You were halfway there. <laughs> so great. Uh, it kicks in. Yes, it's a toe kick. So I would say all cabinet standard have toe kicks now. Okay, cool. So it's really only very old cabinets that went all the way down to the ground and were flat on the face like that. Um, and then that was phased out because people's toes got hurt. So this is why this is industry standard now. Yeah. So um, all of them will have uh, toe kicks. Now, some of that can change depending on the look. So for like my appliance garage, I did that cabinet, the lower cabinet and the top part of it. I did in black because I wanted it to be like an accent in mm -hmm. my kitchen. So the lower one, because it was deeper than the rest of the cabinets, I went ahead and put like a decorative toe on the bottom so that it looked like a furniture piece, if that makes sense. Like, does it, was it on legs? Like it looked kind of like that? Yeah. So it yeah. looks like it's legged and more furniture like. Now it still has a toe kick. It's if you like got on the floor and looked back, <laughs> it still would be there. But we went ahead and made it have a trim detail that essentially made it feel like a furniture piece. Yeah. So, uh, and that's just because we wanted it to feel like more like an armoire in the kitchen right there. Got so it. you can do all sorts of kind of toe kick details and things to make them look more furniture like or, you know, all sorts of funky different things. We've seen it all, but off, but also people on the more contemporary side really like like toe kick lighting. That's like a really Ooh. specific detail, you know, some <laughs> LED strip lights in there. You can change it to whatever color you want, throw a party. So, um, that's you know, funny. there's all sorts of funky, yeah. funky things to do with toe kicks. They also are great places if you have a kitchen remodel and you're laying out your space and you're like, well, there's an HVAC duct, you know, where I want to put this cabinet. You can run the HVAC through the toe kick in a cabinet oh, cool. because it's, you know, the finished bottom of the cabinet is that four inches above the ground. Mm -hmm. So that's just a void under there. So you can right. literally there's like duct parts that you can add to your ducting to pull the HVAC to the front of that toe kick and just pop a vent in there. That's really cool. So easy. Using up that space. Yeah. Yeah. And then kind of just mentioned this, but like countertops. So, you know, when you're wiping, cleaning, all that stuff, like, you know, what are some of your top recommended countertops that you recommend for clients? And, you know, what do you have in like this is a controversial subject. <laughs> um, I feel like countertops are kind of the most difficult thing to navigate with a client mm -hmm. um, because they are so specific design-wise, and then they all carry their sets of pros and cons. Yeah. So in my house, my island is soapstone, so it's just a natural material. It's fairly soft, similar to marble, uh, except dark, so soapstone pretty much is like a dark blue green t towards charcoal. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it's very similar in feel to marble. So we did that on the island because soapstone is soft. And I know that my boys will beat everything in my house. So <laughs> I wanted to be able to maintain it myself. So soapstone, you have to essentially seal or wax, you know, usually once a year, depending on how perfect you want it to look. Mm -hmm. Now I'm totally cool with it looking more old world. So we've lived in our house now for almost two years and I have only resealed it once when I touched it with like the wrong type of cleaner and it oh. made it look super murky. So, and when I say seal, it's literally just an organic beeswax, sunflower oil, like 
mixture compound that you can buy and you just rub it on there with a rag and that's it. So it's nice. really easy. It's like I, I'll do it with my hands. It's kind of therapeutic. I'll like rub it into my hands and it's fine. But when you first buy soapstone, you have to do that probably two, maybe three times, depending on the soapstone, just to get that wax to like penetrate into the soapstone. So, you know, the first couple months of living in the house, we did it a couple times and then now it's been a couple years. But the benefit of soapstone is if you scratch it, like if I, my son, I don't know, scratches it with one of his crystals, then uh, I can take some just fine grit sandpaper and buff it myself and just re-spot wow. wax it. So you can get scratches out yourself and just re reseal it yourself. So I wanted to be able to maintain it myself and not yeah. have to like hire somebody to come reseal it or, or buff it out. So that's why we opted for that on the island. The rest of the kitchen is Caesar stone, which is just a quartz um, mm. composite. So it's a man-made material. Quartz is super durable. Uh, for those of you that maybe don't know the difference between what these things are, it's a little bit not intuitive because quartz is actually a man-made material of quartzite and granite. So a lot of times people will come into the office and be like, I want quartz because it's a natural material. And we're like, no, it's engineered. And they like don't believe us. And we'll have to like show them. No, quartz is all man-made. So uh, counter to its name, it is a man-made product. It's engineered. So that means that it's essentially taking ground up quartzite and ground up granite and mixing it with a certain percentage of resin or composite to make the slab. So mm. typically, depending on brand, it could be anywhere from 7% resin to 3%. So if you are kind of looking at the more expensive tier of quartz, it's probably going to be in the, that 3% mark. Will that make a difference in its use? No, I haven't found it yet to make a difference. <laughs> I would say Caesar Stone's probably, uh, I don't know where they are, actually are percentage-wise, but super durable, economic option. And generally speaking, Caesar stone or any quartz is fairly low maintenance. So, but I will say the newer trend towards having matte countertops, um, that itself requires more maintenance than just like a polished quartz. Um, so if you have like water sitting, a water glass sitting on your counter and you leave it for a week, it's going to make a ring yeah. <laughs> and you're going to have to buff it out. So, yeah. um, and you know, if you leave wine or turmeric or anything like that on your counter, you do have to make sure you're wiping it up pretty quickly or yeah. you're going to have to buff it out. So, but all that to say, you can buff it out. It is a thing you can do for yourself. So a lot of times for us, if we forget and we leave something on the counter, it's just like taking baking soda mm. out with some water and just like yes. making a paste, rubbing it on there, and then just kind of using the grit of the baking soda to work out that stain and then it's fine. Yeah. So, um, but I, I mean, there's really not any material on the market that you could leave a red wine bottle ring and not have to maintain it unless yeah. you're getting like black granite that's polished, in which case that stain is still there. You're just not seeing it, yeah. you know? Yeah. So yeah, quartz is a pretty, it's a fairly durable product. Quartzite and granite are also natural stones. Quartzite tends to look more, for lack of a better word, deep. Like it has more of a crystally rock look to it, mm -hmm. similar to granite. But both of those have pocks and holes. They require sealing. It's yeah. you know similar to marble. Marble is a very soft material. So we don't recommend marble in kitchens if you're somebody that 
is like really OCD about how your kitchen looks. If you like to have, you know, happy hour hangouts and you often forget wine bottles on the (laughs) counter, marble is a no-no for you. So uh, Mm. it's much harder to get wine stains out of marble than anything else. So yeah, they're beautiful. There's like a trend right now towards marble. People love them. Uh, but those require like a come to Jesus moment with our clients. Like, are you okay with the maintenance of this? Because we can't in good conscience recommend it unless you are committed yeah. to cleaning it. Yeah. And um, I feel like doesn't it nick pretty easily? And, totally. Like, you shouldn't put really hot stuff on it straight yes. from the stovetop. Yeah. So it just seems like a super sensitive right. material. Whereas quartz, I think you can put pretty hot stuff on it and not worry about it like cracking or... You can, I just actually learned this the other week randomly though, you can put hot stuff on it and I do it all the time. I'll take a pan right from the, you know, the cooktop to the countertop with no issues. However, I have recently found out that if you have a corner in your kitchen, like it's an L-shaped kitchen or whatever, Mm -hmm. and your fabricator cuts that corner without a radius, so it's not curved, it's actually like a square corner in your countertop, and you put a hot item on it, it can crack (gasps) off that corner. So this is like a new thing for me because I I didn't realize when, when we got our countertops put in, the fabricator put these like really deep radiuses on our corners. And I was like, I did not design it that way. But I also trust that somebody is smarter at these things than me and knows the properties more than I do. And he was like, yeah, we can't we can't do an actual tight corner on that because it just weakens the material if you put something hot on there. Yeah. And so I like did some research on it. And that's like very much a real thing. So it's totally fine, except for those weak points. So um, if you have a fabricator that just like is totally cool with it, I would just be like, nope, we need to radius that (laughs) anyways, Uh, because there's some you can Google it. There's some horror stories about it. So it's it wouldn't be great. Yeah, that's good to know. It's so funny with all the nuance with the ma- different materials yeah. and what you can do with one thing or you can't do with another. Then there's the the butcher block, which some people really enjoy, which but seems like a lot of work because there's like lots of sealing pretty yeah. regularly and stuff. And of course, wood is like pretty porous and right. not heat safe. So you can't put like super hot stuff directly on it. So like our countertops aren't necessarily butcher block because Jeremy made them and they're very cool they're made out of reclaimed wood um but he like finished them with you know a like sealant on top to make them waterproof etc um but still you can't you know we can't cut on it we can't put hot things on it they're also not totally sanded flat you know because there's still some wood texture so then it's also a little harder to clean because then if a crumb like falls on one of the ridges you have to like really rub to try to like get it out of there so just ease of wiping down for cleaning after cooking is like a really big consideration totally for, for me personally with the next kitchen just like i want something flat like stone where you're just like whoosh, you can like wipe it all off yes. and it's just one easy swoop and it's like super clean yeah it's gonna be so nice it is gonna be great life-changing <laughs> for you yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> And then like backsplashes too, just thinking about cleaning. That's really helpful because we don't have a backsplash behind our kitchen sink, which I regret not doing. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, stuff splashes. You got your sink jet 
of water flying out into this like saucy pan and then like the sauce splatters and it's just like now it's on the wall. So definitely recommend backsplash for your sink and then also your stove. Right. Behind the stove is helpful too for bubbly sauces. Are there any considerations that people should think about with backsplashes or? I think the number one thing is just grout and how much maintenance you want to have with grout cleaning. So um, there is no like great after seal product at least not that i know of so if anyone does know (laughs) let me know please um that can seal your grout to where like if spaghetti sauce gets on it you can just like easily wipe it off right so if that's the case and you are somebody that like cooks with a lot of high intensity color food then you know wider format tile with less grout would be a smart option or even just doing the countertop material wrapped up so then it's just a Mm. single piece and there's no grout, that is even more ideal for somebody like that where you can just not have to deal with any cleaning at all. So, and I think it's, the question that we always get is, is that more expensive, right? Because you think with a countertop material that it's gonna be so much more expensive to do that waterfall look. And it just really depends on, the slab cost versus the tile cost. Because yeah. if you have, you know, on average, a countertop could be anywhere between 75 to maybe 100, 120 installed per square foot. So, and that just, that's based on our area in Oregon. So mm-hmm. um, if you hear that and you're like, that's crazy, it might be because you're listening in from somewhere else. But at <laughs> any rate, that kind of is the average for countertops here. And then if you're going to look at a mosaic or a mesh mount, you know, backsplash that you're, you see kind of traditionally as a backsplash, that's going to run you, you know, just the material will run probably 25 to 30, $35 a square foot. And then your install, we would typically recommend doubling that. So mm-hmm. if you're at anywhere from 50 to $100 ish on the backsplash installed you're pretty close to what the cost is to the countertop and it might still be more but it also might be worth it for you from a maintenance perspective to yeah. not have to clean grout so i think it's definitely one of those viable considerations that anyone that's like i just hate cleaning tile should consider yeah you know and there's always you know even I think my in-laws, when they redid their kitchen, they just went to Home Depot for their countertops and they got a great deal on it. And so they were able to like do the backsplash with the same material and it's super clean, super sleek. So I definitely would recommend going that route if you don't want to clean tile. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds very tempting, (laughs) actually. (laughs) I'm just like, I really don't enjoy cleaning grout. But also you could try to go for like a darker grout. Yeah. That won't be as obvious if there is stains. Cause like in our upstairs shower, we have like really dark gray grout with like white subway tiles and it, the contrast is really nice. Yeah. And um, yeah, it just like looks cleaner, right. longer, which is handy too. Yeah, totally. And so <laughs> I know that there's so much more we could talk about with kitchens, but we're gonna try to wrap it up a little bit <laughs> so we don't just <laughs> rattle on forever about it yes. but the last thing we wanted to touch on is like pantry and food storage yes because that's something that's always a struggle you know being able to access all the the dry goods especially that you have in like deep cabinets and like not seeing right. what you have back there like you know what are your recommendations with that yeah i mean if it's possible i definitely think that every kitchen should have a tall pantry cabinet 
Whether it's even just like an 18 inch cabinet that can pull out because, you know, they make tall pantry cabinets where literally the entire thing can just like pull out as a single unit. It has wheels like it's so you can get the full 24 inches and just like pull it all out in one fell swoop, which is amazing. And so there's a ton of storage that you can get in that. And it's super efficient. So, I mean, if you, I just think generally speaking, we tend to want to see food at eye level mm-hmm. and be able to look at it not under a cabinet or inside an upper cabinet as much. So with the exception of it, I think of like oils and things that are next to a range. I think your dry goods and your kind of cooking, main cooking foods, um, you need to be able to access from a tall cabinet. Yeah. In my kitchen, we didn't have the space to do a tall pantry cabinet because we opted for the appliance garage instead. And so we actually turned our like under stair section, which my son originally said was going to be his bedroom because he loves Harry Potter. (laughs) Um, That's like our pantry under there. So it's just like a little few steps away from the kitchen. It's kind of all centralized, but technically a little bit of a step outside of the kitchen main zone Mm -hmm. i actually love it for the for the simple reason of like the kids can go in there and they're not in the kitchen then so then they're just like grabbing their snacks grabbing applesauce whatever it is and they have access to it and then you know they're not like rub you know bumping into us when we're cooking or things like that so it's helpful for us to operate that way now if you can't have a tall pantry cabinet and you can't also have any other place that is like a separate pantry i think it's really just boils down to being very organized with how you put your food into your kitchen Mm. so it's a lot of like you know, putting cereals in Tupperwares or, you know, making your space optimized from a drawer perspective so that when you open that drawer and you're looking down at it, you can see the food rather than looking down at the top of the boxes. Yeah. Um, Because it just makes it really difficult for you to find your way around the food if you can't see what you're looking at and you're just looking at it top down. Yeah. So you kind of have to think about it from the perspective of like, how can I see the label? How can I see what this is? And then work your storage around that. Yeah. If that makes sense. Totally. One thing Jeremy and I started doing, which has been really helpful because we do have a lot of drawers in our is our pantry storage, which is great. But like you're saying, if it's a box, you don't really see it because you're looking at the top. So we've taken stuff out of whatever it came in and then put it in a mason jar that's yeah. glass. And then on the top of the jar, we'll just put a piece of masking tape and then write on marker on the tape to say like, you know, basmati rice or whatever it is. So yeah. That way when you're looking down you can clearly see like what is in all the jars and it's so nice yes see you're following all the tips already (laughs) (laughs) well i I feel like we'll have to eventually do a part two of this because we didn't even get to talking about like ranges and refrigerators and like all that other stuff we Um, could have an entire podcast about kitchens i'm pretty sure truly yeah there's (laughs) just so much to talk about (laughs) cool but yeah but this is really really helpful too for me just getting some thoughts churning about you know the next space especially with the meeting coming up this week so yeah yeah, i'm excited me too so let's go ahead and dive into our listener questions let's do it okay um so our first question comes from bon lemon kitchen on instagram and she asks i've been thinking about remodeling my kitchen I want whites all over, but I have a dark wood countertop. What shades of white do you recommend for the cabinets? I want white walls and cabinets with gold accents. 
Okay. Uh, very specific, which I like. So we're, we're working with blacks and whites and some pretty gold brass yeah. knobs and poles and things. Mm-hmm. I think in our kitchen, I think we have dove white. Yes. So like I also have really dark wood countertops, actually. Um, and then white cabinetry and white walls. But it, the white that I have in my kitchen is kind of like a cream. It's like a softer cream. Right. Like uh, maybe I, somewhere between cream and ivory. Yeah. 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 I mean, I I think it's always a better choice to have a little bit of warmth in a white yeah. instead of it being cool and stark. Because uh, then you just it feels sterile. So yeah. but you also don't want it to go so yellow that you're like teetering on butter if yeah. that makes sense, because then it just feels dirty, dingy. Yeah. So um, dirty or dingy or just uh, dated. So or like wow, it's smoke three D's, dirty, dingy and dated. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it just doesn't look great. So I tend to like Simply White, Dove White, kind of all of those um, little bit warm whites. But I also am a big fan of like vintage brush strokes on cabinets because they help you when you have dirty children or like just don't wipe your cabinets down all the time. Like white is a really hard color to maintain. So pre-distressing it or pre-grungifying it uh, helps with that too. If you like that look, you know, and you are trying to not sign yourself up for a lot of maintenance with kids and cooking. So, and white cabinets do also stain with cooking too. So Mm -hmm. I haven't, I feel like I had a client that did white cabinets and was like, I stained a door with spaghetti sauce or something. And I was like, I don't know how to help you. I'm sorry. You just need to repaint it. You just have to repaint it or get a new door. So it's just white is it's beautiful, but it's such a tough color. So Mm -hmm. I clearly design everything around my dirty kids. So (laughs) what what is important to take into consideration if you have small children? Yeah, We we live on a farm. So I just expect that we're like, tracking in mud and like you know the kids are wild so they're just slinging stuff all over so (laughs) it's helpful for me I guess to have them be a little bit pre-distressed in all the right ways yeah so I we have that too actually the vintage brush strokes on our like white cabinets um just around like the edges and the corners which is great because then like if it gets dinged or like you know we kind of have that wood shaker border yep. on the front of our cabinet but then like dust will collect in the little cracks right. where it attaches and but because it has these darker gray vintage brush strokes there you don't yeah. really see it which is very handy so yes. it's something for her to keep in mind yes <laughs> with her white cabinet clearly Eva and I's answers are based on dust and children so <laughs> that's our advice for you yep yep <laughs> and then foodie renee on instagram asks Oh, so that was our home question. So now we'll dive into our garden question. And she asks, should I take tulip bulbs out if I plan to grow some summer or autumn flowers in the same raised bed? Also, how do I get more flowers and where do I get organic fertilizer? So no, I would not recommend taking your bulbs out unless you live in a really warm climate. If you, in some climates, basically tulip bulbs like to be under a certain temperature for a certain amount of time. I honestly don't remember off the top of my head how long it is, but I think it's basically just normal in or, or winter in a normal winter climate, right? So it'd probably be like they need to be below like 40 degrees for, you know, a period of eight weeks or something. But I would look up the specific to be sure. Um, so if you live in like California, like uh, Southern California or, you know, one of those, you know, Texas, one of those warmer states, 
um, the deep south, you know, you might have to think about digging up and refrigerating your tulip bulbs. But if you're not in like a super warm climate, I wouldn't worry about digging them up. But what I would do is just think critically about the placement of where you're putting these in your raised bed. So mm. for me, for example, I have a tulip border around mm. my raised beds. So nice. I planted the bulbs kind of along the edge of the big raised bed. And then in the middle, I have my tomato plants so that in the spring, I have these beautiful uh, tulips that just edge the whole thing that looks full. But then in the summer, you know, the tulips die down, which is fine. And then the tomatoes are in the center and they're fruiting and they're really lovely. So if you want to have, you know, like maybe a dahlia, which is like a bigger, bushier flower, put that in the middle of your beds. And that's a summer to autumn blooming flower. And then put your spring bulbs, you know, like your tulips or your daffodils in a nice border around the edge. And that way they're not going to be like competing for, you know, root space um, and nutrients because you have a little bit of designated area for each of those to grow. And it's just going to be easier for you too. So that's what I would, that's what I would recommend, Renee. And then for the other part of that question, you know, every flower has different maintenance instructions to get it to bloom more. But one thing that all flowers need is nutrients. So, you know, we have a flower episode um, coming up that I definitely would recommend listening to when it's here with Joe and Sarah Blasi from Selva Floral, all, all about growing flowers. But the two main things you'll want to make sure to do once a year are uh, add some compost to the soil where you're growing your flowers. Just sprinkle a good hefty dose of compost on top, maybe like an inch or two at least. And then also add some organic fertilizer, which you did ask about. So I will let you know my favorite brand for organic fertilizer is E.B. Stone Organic. So that's E as in Eva, B as in bird, Stone Organics. And as to where you can get that, it's a lot easier to find them at the smaller local nurseries rather than like the big box stores. A lot of times the big box gardening stores, you know, like Lowe's or Home Depot, they don't have as many organic options. Maybe that will change or maybe that depends on your location. But in my neighborhood, um, it's more just like the generic, you know, big plant fertilizer like chemical stuff but if i go to a portland nursery which is like a small local nursery here like they have tons of eb stone organic and i like them because it's custom made natural organic fertilizer blends based on what the plant is so they have one oh, nice. that's like rose and flower and then they have one that's for acid loving flowers like rhododendrons and camellias mm. which have like very specific needs they have one for vegetables they have one for fruit berries and vines um, so it's great because then, you know, for whatever plant you have, you can buy like the exact perfect mix that that plant needs. So yeah, definitely nice. recommend checking them out. Yeah. Perfect. Great. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. It was so much fun talking about kitchens and thank you, Sam, for sharing your insane <laughs> amount of knowledge about like yeah. all the kitchen things. Just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> so no problem. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Yeah. So yeah. Hopefully it was helpful. Oh, I mean, I learned a lot. So it was at least helpful for me, hopefully <laughs> for those of you listening as well. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. Yeah. Take care, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps. You can find our show notes with resources and links at feelslikehomepodcast.com. For design advice, send in your listener mail at feelslikehomepodcast at gmail.com. 
And you can also find us on Instagram at Feels Like Home Podcast. The Feels Like Home Podcast is produced by Jeremiah Flores and hosted by interior designer Sam Struck and styles and photographer Eva Cosmos Flores. Thanks so much for tuning in and stay cozy, friends. <laughs>